0: Another pot of coffee is brewing. My third cup is almost finished. I really feel like I need it today. So that means it's time for another episode of Not Before Coffee. I'm your host, Ray, self confessed bookworm, TV show marathoner, film addict, hermit, long term depression sufferer, and very honest caffeine fiend. For all my sins. I am actually headed back to Florida, but I think I may have overstayed my welcome in Miami, and instead I'm heading to the Keys, and one in particular. Now, geography is not my strong point, and I'm not at all sure whether Looking Glass Key is real or fictional, but whether it is or not, that is my final destination for the day, and I'm going to be heading to a bar, because I can, definitely, as I'm over 21, I'm not going to give clues on this particular show because it had such a short run that, unless you have a love for any of the cast or you were a fanatical Bones Watcher, it's highly probable this is the first you've ever heard of it. But as it now has been added to Disney Plus and should therefore be on Hulu, maybe, possibly, now that Disney has the rights to all things Fox. Though, that said, if that's the case, why is the Chris Evans Fantastic Four first film not available yet? Seriously, Disney, answer me that question. Where is it? We've got the rubbish one, but we haven't got this one. Not that either of them are any good or anything, but something nice to look at. Anyway, let's get back to the show I was really happy to see had been recently added to Disney Plus Star. In fact, it was only added last Friday as I record this. It had a backdoor pilot in the sixth season of Bones, when Booth and Brennan made a visit to the Florida Everglades, and we were introduced to Walter Sherman and his colleague and advisor, Leo Knox. I'm going to be talking this week about the very short-lived Hart Hansen show, The Finder. Is it awful to admit that by the time season six of Bones came around, I was just getting a bit bored with the will-they-won't-they aspect of the Booth and Brennan relationship. In fact, by the time they got together, I didn't care anymore because the programme had become so formulaic that I was tuning in and watching, sort of, but unlike previous seasons, I was now watching with a book in my hand or a whole load of fan fiction on my computer screen. The episode of season six that acted as our introduction to Walter was actually a welcome break from all that I knew was going to come. As with Castle and so many other procedurals it was pretty obvious where it was heading and I am going to admit right here and now hold the front page Booth and Brennan were better as a non-sexual investigative partner. There I said it and I'm not taking it back but I'm not here to talk about Booth and Brennan today. The first season of Bones, which I love, by the way, will be the topic of another episode at a much later date. This week, I am going to be talking about what made The Finder a great show and the many reasons possibly why it simply didn't last longer than the unfortunately brief 13 episodes. Before I start talking about that and the team of unique and interesting characters who have a role in it, I should probably tell you what it's about, because as I said, it wasn't a massive ratings hit. Therefore, it's highly likely you never saw it when it aired in 2012. Honestly, though, I do think it's worth the 10 hours to watch it and the backdoor pilot. Walter Sherman is a war veteran who suffered brain damage due to an IED explosion that killed the six other members of his unit in Iraq. The brain damage has triggered a unique ability in Walter, the ability to find things. Somehow, this injury enables him to see connections between seemingly completely unrelated events, objects or people that other investigators would miss. Walter is assisted by his legal advisor and the owner of the Ends of the Earth, a bar on Looking Glass Key, Leo Knox, and a team parolee called Willa Monday, who is serving her probation working for Leo and Walter. US Deputy Marshal Isabel Zambada also keeps on, unfortunately for her, getting pulled in to help, sometimes reluctantly. She actually has an unusual relationship with Walter that is backed up by a clause-filled relationship contract. The brain damage that gives Walter his finder talent has also left him with a case of huge paranoia and other mental idiosyncrasies. Walter refuses treatment because he does not want to lose this talent. He believes that if he ever fails to find something, he will die. And this is something which drives him to search even harder. The last time Walter failed to find someone, it was the IED explosive expert that was responsible for the explosion that caused his brain damage and killed his friends in Iraq. Sounds quite simple, right? Man finds stuff, man has help from a team. On the surface, it really is the most simple plot line on Earth. But add in complications like very basic technology, hurricanes, interference from the Roma mob, their leader Uncle Shad is actually played by Eric Roberts, and the fact that some of the things that they're searching for are more than a decade old. And you have some very interesting mysteries to solve. The series was originally based on a duology of books called The Locator Series by author Richard Greener, However, in reality, the series was designed 100% to be a loose spin-off of Bones. Though he only appears once in the parent series, we do get two guest appearances in Florida. Lance Sweets has been asked to assess Walter to ensure that he is not suffering from a mental illness that prevents him from working with the FBI or other lettered organisations. And Hodgins turns up with an alien mystery for Walter to solve. I have to be honest and say that I think the Alien Conspiracy Theory episode actually did the show something of a disservice. Until that point, Walter had been given more real cases to solve, such as preventing a man from being killed by lethal injection, by solving a 20-year-old murder, or finding a pilot and his plane, and catching a serial killer. But I guess they wanted to show that the two programmes were tied together, perhaps in an effort to save it from cancellation so early in its run. That aside, why do I personally think it's worth watching? It's a procedural and, you know, I like those. And although Walter does dip his toes in a few pools with dead bodies, his role is not to solve the crime. His role is to lead people to water and help them drink. A perfect example of this is actually in the second episode when Sweets shows up to investigate him to make sure he's mentally competent. He's asked to help save a cop who was found guilty of murdering his partner. The only thing that can save him from lethal injection is evidence that he didn't do it. Of course, nothing worth doing is easy, but Walter is determined now he's got the finding bug for this case, and despite the fact that the place where the murder was committed is now a parking lot, he keeps on searching until he finds something. Many of his methods are way out there. He makes dioramas that aren't exactly to a scale people would recognise, but they work for him using Walter Mass. And his way of thinking is not the most logical, but it makes sense to him. And I get that. I'm sure everybody else does too. If you don't want people to find things out, then you don't go to Walter Sherman is probably the biggest take home from this entire thing. Though Sweets cannot understand him and is more than a little unnerved by the way that Walter does things, he does agree that Walter's skills are important and valuable. So despite being unable to explain what he's witnessed, I'm guessing similar to how he feels about Brennan at times, he knows that if he doesn't rubber stamp federal agencies working with the team at the ends of the earth, they will be missing out on a valuable resource. So who is Walter Sherman? As I've already mentioned, he was a major in the US Army and the only survivor of a roadside bomb attack, which killed the rest of his unit in Iraq. Unfortunately, he did not escape the event unscathed, suffering serious brain trauma that changed him forever. At some point in the backdoor pilot, we established that he and Booth served together in Iraq. But this is only mentioned in order to give them some kind of connection. Walter is paranoid and incredibly suspicious of everything. Paranoid. Though that doesn't automatically make him a conspiracy theorist. He may use unusual methods to find things, but much of what he does has some string of logic behind it, even if it's only his own, including when he's investigating Hodgins' conspiracy theory about aliens. The brain damage that Walter suffered in Iraq has given him the ability to see connections, even when there don't appear to be any. He can get right to the heart of an issue, and though he can come across as abrupt, and he is most definitely quirky, personally, I find these traits endearing, possibly because I have some of them myself. Walter is played by Jeff Stoltz, who you may well recognise from Wedding Crashes. He also was a regular in Seventh Heaven and the other short-lived series, October Road, Of course, if you don't recognise him from those, then perhaps you've seen him in Grace and Frankie, which is another show I'm going to be talking about at some point, or the film Twelve Strong with Chris Hemsworth. When I was looking through his filmography, I have to admit, I was amazed to see how many of his projects I've actually watched and just never registered. I have already briefly touched on the subject of Walter's lawyer, Leo Knox, At this point, it's going to start to feel as though I am going to be running through tragic backstories and nothing else. Because at one point in his life, Leo was a brutal corporate lawyer and he did things he wasn't completely proud of. There's another show where this is the case that I am going to look at soon. But that all changed when his wife Nina and their daughter Ellie died after eating meat contaminated with E. coli. The man who committed the crime of marketing the meat got away with it, and with murder in his heart, Leo walked away from the corporate world and somehow found his way to the bar and Walter. There is something about Leo that makes you think of him as a teddy bear, but at the same time, you just know that he would bite your arm off if you got too close and he didn't want you to be. He is constantly telling Walter which laws he is intentionally breaking when he does things in the course of his cases, but he is acting solely in an advisory capacity in that respect because he'll tell Walter the law and then Walter will just carry on and break it. He is determined to see the good in people and help them when they're in need. And this is how Willa Monday ends up living with them. Michael Clark Duncan, probably best known for his Oscar nominated role as John Coffey in The Green Mile played Leo Knox perfectly, switching between business suits and brightly coloured Hawaiian shirts, his deep voice conveying so many different emotions that make him a character incredibly difficult to forget. Sadly, Duncan passed away just six months after the last episode of The Finder aired. What would The Finder be without a member of law enforcement on hand to back up some weird and wonderful theories? Why? It would be a show about a man who went hunting for stuff and just handed it back to the owners without resolving the underlying issues. Because of that, let me introduce you to Deputy Marshal Isabel Zambada. She has ambitions to get into the White House, she's studying law at night, yet somehow she has time to have a steamy relationship with Walter, do a lot of overtime, and solve cases that weren't hers to solve to start with. I have to admit, I'm not 100% sure as a Brit what the responsibilities are for US Marshals. I always thought that they had something to do with WTSEC, but I am probably incredibly wrong. That said, Isabel is apparently incredibly good at her job. She's driven, determined, and knows what she wants out of life. She tells Willard that she wants to end up in the White House, and she knows that's not something Walter will ever be interested in, so she can't see her relationship with him going anywhere. Okay, so she didn't know him before his accident, but he isn't only what she sees. And this is something that Willa is constantly proving to her. Isabel is all action. She knows that Walter is very good at what he does and she trusts him even when he isn't doing something that makes any sense and she can't see the logic behind it. She has seen with her own eyes what he is capable of when they are desperate for results. There is no room for doubt. Isabel Zambada was the first lead role for Swedish-American actress Mercedes Massoon. Though since The Finder came to an end, she has appeared in shows like Fear the Walking Dead, NCIS Los Angeles and 666 Park Avenue. Willa Monday is a rebel without a clue. I would say without a cause, but she has one and it's her Romany family led by her uncle Shadrach. She has a rap sheet a mile long, having been caught on multiple occasions stealing or cheating for the family. She's been quite hardened by her past, despite only being in her late teens. Her family is incredibly influential and what her uncle Shad says is what happens. He is the family patriarch and the one who makes all of the decisions and everyone has to go by them. This is why Willa, who is, as I said, in her mid to late teens is betrothed to her cousin, and here I use the term cousin incredibly lightly because Timo isn't really her cousin, just another member of the Roma clan. She was betrothed to him from the age of five, and her uncle Shad expects them to marry, despite neither of them loving the other in that way. Sometimes it seems as though Willa is only playing by the rules that have been set out by her probation, because she has to. And then other times you see that she genuinely cares for Walter and Leo, despite putting on this tough girl outer layer and pretending that she is hearing what they tell her. Walter is fascinating to her, though. He is very much an oddity that she would like to solve, probably almost as much as she wants to get into his safe and clean it out for the family. Though she does have an opportunity at one point and doesn't do it. Also, her relationship with Timo, the cousin she's betrothed to, is really odd. We know that he's in love with a girl called Magdalena, but when it comes to her own feelings, there is a lack of clarity. Is she in love with him but refusing to marry him because he cares for someone else? Or does she really not love him like that? Even at the very end of the show, we're never actually given the answer to that question. I prefer to think that she feels he is a friend she cares for, Otherwise, every time he talks about how much he loves this other girl, he will be chipping away a little more of her heart. And unrequited love absolutely stinks. Willow was played by 17-year-old Maddie Hassan in what was her second ever leading role. Her first being as a teenage girl on a murder spree in the 2011 film God Bless America. Since playing Willa, she's gone on to have roles in the ABC drama *Twisted* with Avan Jogia from *Victorious*, and the YouTube premium show *Impulse*, which itself was a sort of sequel to the film *Jumper*. Over the run of the series, there are some very interesting guest stars, including Greg Evergan who I absolutely loved in *My Two Dads*, and Marion Van Peebles. These two together play some kind of Crockett and tubs knockoffs. Jodi Lynn O'Keefe is a girl who loses her shoe and Eva Carradine plays an agent for the FBI. I said that I honestly believe this show was cancelled far too early, but then it was on Fox and that does explain quite a lot. Over the years I have learned not to get too attached to anything that aired on that particular network because it always seemed that they were incredibly trigger happy when it came to cancellations. Okay, so it wasn't a massive hit with incredibly high ratings. However, it aired on a Thursday in the slot vacated by Bones when it went on its hiatus. Had the show been aired as a follow-on from Bones while the show was still on the air, then it probably would have stood a much better chance, especially as it was being promoted as being from the team that brought you Bones. It was a natural sequel, but for some reason it just didn't work. Bones was a nicely established show, having been on the air for seven years by the time The Finder was airing, yet it just didn't get the attention I feel it deserved. The stars just didn't align for Walter and his friends. Of course, the sad thing about all of this is that it was cancelled less than two months before Michael Clark Duncan suffered from the heart attack that eventually led to his death at 54. Had the show been renewed, it would have lacked the charm that it had, because of his role as Leo Knox. All that said, I don't think I would want to see a reboot, because the cast were perfect in their roles, they had a chemistry that's difficult to deny, and though it is a procedural, this particular crew aren't out to solve murders, they're in it for the mystery. If solving a murder ends up being part of it, as it does on a few occasions, then that's just the way it happens to be. Just in case you haven't checked the podcatchers since last week, a brand new episode of the bookshop, all about Jennifer Saint's debut novel set in a world of Greek myth, Ariadne, is available for download now. We've come to the question and answer part of the episode. Let me know if there are any questions you would like to hear me answer about the shows I watch, or maybe you've got a show you'd really love to hear me cover. So, here goes. Did I enjoy it? I did, and I do. It's not a show I revisit every year, in part because I didn't particularly want to purchase the box set, but also because for a rewatch, nine plus hours plus the backdoor pilot is a bit of a time investment. All that said, I do wish that we'd been given a full 22-episode season the first time around. It seems that so many of the shows Fox used to cancel were the ones that barely had a chance at all. Would I watch more? Of course, if there had been more, then I would definitely have invested the time needed to watch it. I know that there are only two books, and I'm not sure if I'll be able to find them. Hello, Google, help me search. But I may well give them a try now that I have finished watching everything that was made. I would definitely recommend you give it a go. You don't have to watch the backdoor pilot if you don't want to. You don't even have to watch the episodes in any specific order. There are a few overlapping themes, but they aren't hugely obvious. As I say this, I can't help wondering if the fact that there wasn't a season arc is one of the reasons why it failed while other shows didn't. Oh well, we'll never know what was planned for Walter, Leo, Willa and Isabel now, but there's always fan fiction. Must do a search for that as well. (laughs) Seriously, AO3 is my friend. So there it is, my pretty much spoiler-free review of the cancelled far too soon show the finder it's available on disney plus star outside the us and according to some pretty time-consuming research and someone who kindly answered me on twitter it's not currently available free streaming in the us i haven't been doing all that many trailers this season but there are a few shows i would love to share with you and this one is a fantastic monday morning listen hey podcast land This is Chance Whitmore of the Strive, Seek, Find podcast, home of personal growth and development wrapped in personal anecdotes and real-world solutions alongside sometimes amusing stories. Our goal is to find a better way, encouraging all of us to keep seeking our own brilliant futures. You can find Strive, Seek, Find on Monday, wherever you find your podcast. Check it out after you've listened to this show. So why not give that a go after you've downloaded the bookshop on Mondays? Find it where you can find all good podcasts after you've finished listening to this one. So how are things in the coffee household this week? This week has been a good one so far. I had a very strange conversation with my mum on Friday evening when she had to call me to unlock Black Widow so we could watch it in different houses at the same time. Seriously, when I talked with her again on Saturday, I did wonder if she'd been watching the same film as me, but that's just the way she is in general. Anyway, back to this weird conversation... We started to talk about mental health, a subject she never brings up because it feels most often that she just doesn't want to acknowledge I have any issues at all, let alone ones that date back to childhood. And either she's been talking to someone or read something somewhere, but all of a sudden she's talking about how my particular mental health issues are ones that are obviously genetic. She then started to talk about how I was different during childhood, obsessive, intense, socially awkward... Um, Not actually sensing much of a difference between then and now, if I'm honest. And mentioned autism. Now, normally I would just be sitting there thinking, she's making excuses and what the heck is she going on about? However, just a few days before, I'd actually had a conversation with a close friend who happens to have a child and a partner on the spectrum. And she recommended I do the psychology tests that the NHS use as part of their diagnostic kit. So I did the test twice because I didn't like the result at all. The first time I got 23 out of 30 and a recommendation I consult my GP. The second time I got 27 out of 30 and that same recommendation. According to some of the research I've done and some of the conversations I've had with my friend, mental health issues such as the ones I have had for so many years, I can't remember when I didn't have them, can be related directly to Asperger's and autism in general. Clearly, whatever my diagnosis, I am high functioning or else I would never have managed to make it through school relatively unscathed or have managed to stay in employment without any issues. Okay, socially, I am pretty rubbish. I am the first to admit it, but I am able to maintain a conversation, contribute opinions and focus relatively well if I am in. Okay, I'm not amazing at it at all, but I can hold my own when I have to. Looking back at so many parts of my childhood, and my adulthood for that matter, I wonder if this is why I have some of the problems that I do. Okay, so I only know what the diagnosing tests tell me. I only know that some of the behaviours I had and continue to have as a child were unusual because that's how other people interpret them. Yes, I can get absolutely obsessed with doing one thing. I will get sucked into books. In fact, a few years ago, I read 123 books in three weeks or start enjoying a show and have to know absolutely everything about the actors in it, any books, any inspirations. But I'm sure I am not alone in that. That's what fanaticism or being a fan is about. Taking everything into consideration, the conversation with my mum, the conversation with my friend, the results of those tests, I do need to go back and speak with my GP again and get further feedback because even my psychiatrist a few years ago mentioned this as a possibility to me. And I just wrote it off as a thing that people say as a, well, we haven't got the answer, so here, have one. My GP has mentioned it as a concern previously, as has my nurse. But again, it's like, Oh, they're just sort of throwing things to see what happens. I just need to wait and see. And apparently testing takes ages. Anyway, that's it for this episode. I really hope you enjoyed the listen. And I will be back next week with more. Don't forget, the bookshop will be open again on Monday with the next review. If you like what you hear, why not share it with your friends and family? And please post a review or give me a star rating on Podchaser. I really love reading what you have to say about the episodes, whether you like them or not. Constructive feedback is never useless. You can follow me on Twitter at need underscore three underscore mugs or on Instagram at not podcast. Well, I need another drink as I definitely haven't had enough today. So I'm going to go and put the kettle on. Until next time, this is me saying farewell.